When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of AMA. I am your host and I live to serve you guys. So if you want to get a question answered, which is what I'm gonna be doing with you for the next 30 or so minutes, submit them to connect at impacttheory.com. That would be amazing. If you wanna remain anonymous, simply say, I wanna remain anonymous. And our boy Chase, who's gonna be pulling the cream of the crop, will make sure that you stay anonymous if you like it to be so. Otherwise, we will say your name, celebrate you for submitting a question. And as a reminder, by the way, everybody out there, we have finished the first issue of our very first screen uh, script to a comic book. We actually have the whole book. I don't know, I'm having a seizure over here. Uh, we have our first comic book, which we're going to be um, giving away at New York Comic Con. So come to that. You can also pre-order it right now at comics.impacttheory.com. If you want to show the love, you want to support, if you're interested in storytelling, comic books, and that whole side of things that we're doing, it would be amazing if you went right now and pre-ordered a copy for yourself, your mom, your dad, your kids, your friends, your school, your local library. All of it would be amazing. I want to have a crushing number of pre-sales even before they officially go on sale, which is in October. October uh, 8th is the day we begin shipping, but we will actually be selling them on October 4th. That is the launch day. New York Comic Con, join us. All right, without further ado, Julian, Tom, can you talk in more detail about diaphragm breathing? I feel that since I started hearing you talk about it, I discovered this depth in the breath that's almost yawn-like, like a different feeling when I do deep breaths with my diaphragm that's very calming and intense. Is this what you mean when you talk about it? Can you describe the feeling with as much detail as possible? Your example is already so good. Yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about, and I'm so excited for you because now that you've found that diaphragm breathing, how calming it is. I don't know that I ever would have, word the use, would have used the word intense, but it is very calming. So diaphragm breathing is a down and out breath. So the diaphragm is at the sort of bottom of your, what most people think of as their stomach. It's right around where your stomach and your intestines meet. Oh God, for people that really know anatomy, that may sound horrible, but uh, you're gonna want to look this up. And when the diaphragm contracts, oddly enough, is it creates a vacuum. Now I'm afraid that I'm using the wrong words, but I actually think that is true. Creates a vacuum which sucks the air into your lungs. So it's one of the only muscles that expands when it contracts. So it's, um, it's really important to learn how to breathe from low down. So you want to think about, this is not quite the right way to describe it, but pooching your stomach out as you take in that low breath. If you think about that, I just did one. They really do feel different, it's so bizarre. So breathing from low in your stomach. So getting that diaphragm to contract, to open up the space, to fill the bottom of your lungs. And when you do that, A, you're able to take a much deeper breath and then there is something about using your diaphragm and breathing low in the bottom lobes of your lungs that really triggers the 
parasympathetic nervous system. Somebody more well-researched than I will have to tell you why that's the case. I just know that it is the case. And so as you're pooching your stomach out, and that, that's gonna mess you up in the beginning, and then as you get better at it, you're gonna realize why I'm saying that because the words fail me. But really breathing in, in almost an outward way and not letting your shoulders lift up, which is most people breathe high in the upper lobes of their lungs, their shoulders go up, their chest goes up, and that's a much more shallow breath and does not trigger the sympathetic, or excuse me, the parasympathetic nervous system and may in fact trigger, trigger the sympathetic nervous system. So you wanna be doing that low down breathing, relaxing your stomach, trying to look as just fat as you can. And I read one time that part of the reason that people don't breathe from the diaphragm is because they're afraid of looking fat. And because I actually get it and I spent years, in fact, I must have spent more than a decade of my life sucking in my stomach so that my stomach wouldn't touch my shirt because I was embarrassed by how heavy I was as a kid. So there you have it. Um, that's how you do it. Sebastian Manti, hi Tom, in his book Deep Work, amazing book. Cal Newport states, the capacity for doing highly focused and intense work is limited around four hours per day. Do you think this is just a limiting belief? If so, how could one go to increase that limit? I think that is absolutely a limiting belief. First of all, there are inevitably going to be people that can do far more than that. But I will say that if you find that you're diminishing, because it really doesn't matter like what the max is that a human being can do, it's where are you at? So one, you can extend your limit by practicing meditation, meditating for longer and longer. I think you will find immeasurably that you're able to lengthen the amount of deep work that you're able to do that way. But I will say that I think that there is um, gonna be moments where your attention begins to waver, that you're having a hard time. Let's say that normally you can do four hours, but one day you just find after 45 minutes, you're no longer in that zone, you're no longer doing deep work. I got a great idea um, one time. Who did I hear it from? I am blanking right now. I heard it from somebody else. It's another brilliant person's idea, Brendan Bouchard. Thank you, Brendan. It was Brendan that said this, that he'll get up and go um, do some physical activity. I think he said he just walks around the room. What I do is I'll go, uh, if I'm at home, I'll go down to the gym and I'll do a couple quick sets that get the blood flowing, that get me totally focused and ready to go again. And I'll go back up and start working. Or if I'm not at home, I might do some sit-ups or push-ups or something that gets the blood flowing, that gets me refocused, re-energized, and then I can dive back in. So um, just finding that natural rhythm and never, ever, ever taking somebody's word about, you can only do it for four hours because if you say that to yourself, then that's really what you're gonna do. Also, I will say that really deep, highly focused work is like everything, it is a scale. So it isn't on or off. So even at 80% of my max highly focused, I'm still fucking crushing it. So even if I find that I dip sometimes down into the maybe even 70% of where I could be, I'm still better off staying there and then you know going and shaking it up, moving around, um, doing something to allow myself to refocus, meditate, work out, laugh, um, take 10 or 15 minutes to you know, talk to the team, whatever it is that you need to get re-energized and go back and really attack it, um, do that. So the last, I don't know, uh, it, it hasn't been pure, but for the last probably about eight weeks, I've been um, really close to 110 hours a week, every week, uh, with a couple punctuated breaks in that. And man, I've gotten so much done. And because I've been having fun, and because like it's true Goggins moments where I am 
generating so much of my identity and pride and just like inwardly facing. I don't need other people to be proud of it. In fact, I get heckled for how much I work, but I get so much inward pride for being able to do it. And I'm looking at how much we're getting done. And it's like so fucking rad and is so cool that I nothing. I think Cal is brilliant. I'm desperate to get him on the show. I'd love to debate this because the guy is so bright. In fact, we all know I would not debate him on the show. I would let him give his total take on it because he is amazing and I'm so grateful for his books. I just don't think ever putting a cap on something and saying that's all that's possible um, is ever really useful. But his whole notion of deep and focused work is like way more productive than just sort of flitting about. That is a take-home message that I think all of us should get behind. All right, Dayton Coons, I'm ready to cultivate a passion, but I just don't know what interest to start with. I've made a list of everything I could see myself doing with my life. I'm ready to do the work. It's at this point where I feel paralysis. I can hear you saying that it's better to run in the wrong direction, so true, than not at all, but I just don't want, uh, I just don't know how to alter my mindset to move in a direction. I don't know what I'm committed to, what advice you have for me. Okay, oh God, so just yesterday, just yesterday, we filmed with the legendary David Goggins. And dare I say, it was a better episode than the first. Is that fair? Fair. I don't want to overhype it because I really want you guys to come into it fresh. It was awesome. It was so different than the first. We went totally new places. But David gave me something. I have the chills right now. He gave me something that I think is so powerful and I almost feel bad like giving this teaser, but it's, it answers your question so perfectly. David Goggins says, as you guys should know by now, that we all have the cookie jar, which are the amazing things that we've done, and then we have the bag of fuck. And that is all the things that have gone wrong, that we're terrible at, our insecurities, whatever. And he said, if people don't know what to be doing with their lives, they're not sure what to pursue, he said, just reach into the bag of fuck, pull out an insecurity, pull out something that you're bad at, Really stare at yourself about where you're letting yourself down. Don't worry about the rest of the world. Where are you letting yourself down? What do you know you should be better at for your own sake, for your own goals, regardless of what the rest of the world wants you to do? But for your own reasons, there's something in there that's bothering you about you. And he said, if you don't know what direction to go in, reach in and get extraordinary at that thing. And I'm telling you, I just know That will reward you over time in a way that I can't explain. Going in and getting joy and pride and passion out of improving yourself. One, it takes away all the pressure of I need some grand goal that I'm chasing. Self-betterment every day. Let that be the thing. Then there is no paralysis. There is only what bothers me about myself and what awaits you on the other side is loving yourself in a way that no one can touch. And the title of his new book, which Trust me when I say go pre-order right now. I have read it. It is phenomenal. It's called Can't Hurt Me. Now, when you look at that from the standpoint of becoming proud of yourself, of knowing who you are, of having security in what you're capable of and who you are and standing behind your identity and just feeling good about who you are, people can't hurt you anymore because you don't need their approval because you feel some kind of way about yourself. And you know, my whole thing, the only thing that matters in life, how do you feel about yourself when you're by yourself? So when he said that in the interview, man, I stopped cold. I have the chills again. Because I realized that is the ultimate answer. 
When you're not sure what direction to move in, move in the direction of self-improvement. Stare nakedly at your flaws and fix them one by one. Michael Aponte. Hi, Tom. I'm an aspiring artist and I'm wanting to make my own comics. Michael, you need to be on that at IT Comics Jam. If you're into comics, I want to hear from you. Uh, aspiring artist and want to make my own comics. I was wondering if you'd be able to break down the process you and your team went through to make your comic. I still have a long way to go and any advice I can get would be greatly appreciated. I'm looking forward to your comic and I love your podcast. Thank you so much, man. All right, I'm going to keep this really brief because I don't think most people here um, care about making their own comic, but it, I'll, I'll also make it apply to as many things as humanly possible. Okay, so here's the first thing. When you're trying to do something new, comics are no exception. You need to first understand the business, assuming that this is a business, you need to understand the business. Where's the money? Follow the money. Understand how this all plays out. So I'm going in at the beginning of this and I was looking at the comic industry. I was trying to figure out, read everything I could. Any book that had comic in the title, I was reading it. Any podcast that had a comic in the title, I was listening to it. I was trying to find the influencers in the space so I could begin to get a sense of what is this world? What are the things that people care about? What are the things that sell? Then. I started reaching out to any of those influencers I could that I could get a hold of and start asking questions. So anytime that I was paralyzed, I didn't know how to take a step forward, I would be asking that person that actually knew something about it. Now I had no, absolutely no credibility in the comics world when we started. And so erase the fact, because you think, oh, it's Tom Billion, of course people are going to answer his questions if he asks. No one knew who the hell I was. No one wanted to give me the time of day. None of my background mattered to them, literally. I had to like, you, you can't imagine how many people I've gone up to, to at Comic Cons and they just don't know who I am, nor do they care. And so getting people to answer my questions was not particularly easy, but I was very resilient and I kept going and kept asking. And this is something you've heard me say a thousand times. I tell everyone what I'm up to. So I was telling people, I'm gonna be launching a comic book. We're gonna be a comic publisher. We're gonna build a studio bigger than Disney. Like I just say it to everybody. 99% of the world, 99.99999% of the world just look at you with a blank stare like, yeah, they, in fact, I lose credibility with many of them. But that point, oh, 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 1% is like, oh man, that's awesome. I know this person. And then they put you in touch with that person. From that, I've sat down with the former CEO of DC Comics. I've sat down with some of the greatest creators to ever grace comic books and some of the biggest pundits and influencers in the space. And I just started asking them all one question. Why? am I going to fail? Because I don't want them to hype me up. I don't want them to tell me how cool it is. I want them to tell me where I'm going to fall down because that information is usable. So you guys know me, my identity is all about the learner. I don't need people to hype me up. I know why I want to tell stories. That mission means so much to me, I'm going to slog through anybody telling me it's a bad idea, which of course, universally, they did. But I got to understand why they thought it was a bad idea so that I could address those issues and figure out how I was going to get around them. So that's a great place to start, but it's learning, 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 learning. Now, really fast, ultra specific to comic books. The first thing you're going to need to do is figure out where are you publishing. If you're a first time person, I think that the smartest thing you could do is vertical scroll. Go look at what's happening on, um, 
Webtoon. Webtoon may have solved this problem. So go look at them. It's vertical scroll. It's very simple. It's weekly storytelling. You need somebody who's going to draw for you if you're not the artist. You need somebody who's going to write for you if you're not the writer. Um, you need to decide if you're going to do black and white or color. Like all of these things have to be decided. And you've got to figure out your cadence to make sure that you can actually put the book out in that amount of time. It is brutally difficult. The comic industry is scattered around the world because there's no money in it. Because there's no money, it means people live in places where the cost of living is relatively cheap, which means that they are not collecting together, which means you're going to have to do everything over email and all that. Ah, and it becomes a logistical nightmare. So that's where you're going to find the biggest problems and your audience will stop being engaged in your comic if you don't publish on a cadence and stick to it. And I think that monthly is the absolute lowest cadence that you can put a periodical out. Now you could do graphic novels, which may be a better place for you to start. It's going to take you a very long time because it's got to be a whole, call it roughly five issues, call it roughly 120 pages. Uh, so it's going to take a very long time to create. So you're going to have a lot of output before you actually go to market. There's, a, there's so much more. It's terrifying. Hit me up on IT Comics and I'll see if I can help you some more. Uh, and come see me at New York Comic Con or LA Comic Con, depending on where you live, uh, and we can really get into it. All right, Shivank Paul. I sat for hours and hours on end journaling about the best habits I could inculcate, thank you for that word, that's amazing, and then designing the best morning routines and night routines I could follow, but all of these thoughts and ideas stay on paper and I can never apply them in real life even though I know what I need to do. Could you help me understand how I overcome this challenge? Yes, so you know what you need to do and you don't have the energy and enthusiasm to do it. Here's the reality, you just don't want it badly enough. Now, one of two things. Either accept that about yourself and just be okay with it because I don't think anyone is under any sort of moral obligation to want to play at the highest level. It does not make you a better person to pursue the way that I pursue. Some people want to watch basketball and some people want to be Kobe Bryant. So one is not better than the other. You just have to decide which you want. Now, if you decide that you want the Kobe Bryant path, you are going to have to fan those flames and turn that small bit of desire, which is what you're struggling with now because that is what it is. It is just a small bit of desire. You've got to learn and it is very learnable. I want to make sure everybody understands that. You can learn to build that little interest into a raging inferno of desire. You can take step by step something that is merely a curiosity, piquing your interest, and really turn it into a full-blown obsession. I've gone over this a thousand times. I will go over it only very quickly, but it goes like this. If you're legitimately interested, and it has to start from a legitimate interest, something where you get more energy than it takes when you engage with it. So if you get that, identify that thing, now you're going to start telling yourself that this is something that you, you really like this. And you're gonna tell other people, I really like this. Maybe I even love it. You're gonna start saying those words. And you're going to say them out loud. And guess what? They're going to feel fake. But you're going to say them anyway because this is how the fucking mind works. All of us wish it weren't so. All of us wish that things just hit us magically. And oh my God, I'm so obsessed with this thing and it fulfills me and it's wonderful. It doesn't work like that. So you're going to start with this area of interest. You're going to say out loud and to yourself that you like this. You're going to tell everybody who you know that you dig this. You're going to explain why. You're really going to embody the passion and enthusiasm. Embody it the way that I'm doing so now. And then is it really, you're like, actually, I do like this a lot. And I am thinking about this a lot. Huh, that's weird because it's growing in your mind. It's myelinating. Neurons of fire together, wire together. Now you're going to start saying, I love this. 
I'm into this. I want to become one of the best in the world at this. And then you're going to fan those flames. You're going to learn to reward yourself emotionally as you're taking steps and really doing this thing. And as it grows in your mind into something that legitimately on a neurochemical level you want, you must have, all of a sudden it will be very easy to get out of bed. The other thing, and chase it, the other thing to begin building into that is identity. Save that for another time. But as you build your identity into being the kind of person that pursues that thing, then you've got the double whammy if you really want it because you're building that desire into your life and it's your identity to go chase it. And those two will self-reinforce. There it is. Ben M, you've mentioned many times how strict you are with your diet to optimize your health and energy levels. So I'm curious what your diet currently looks like and why. Okay, so my current diet is I'm really messing with whole food. I try to stay as close to only whole food as humanly possible. And I have way upped my vegetable intake. The reason I've upped my vegetable intake is I'm just really, really believing, and I may be wrong, but I don't think so. But that's just how I go into everything. I go in believing it's going to work until it proves that it doesn't, that micronutrients are a big thing, and that there are a lot of things uh, in just eating a lot of diverse, robust whole foods that are good for not only your cells at a micronutrient level, but are great for the microbiome. And because of what's happening to my wife and how hard this problem is to fix, I wanna make sure that A, I don't have the same problem, and B, that I am just making the world's most robust microbiome so that should I encounter any sort of um, uh, disturbance, illness, infection, whatever, that I'll have a robust microbiome that will be able to bounce back. So um, it has become my belief that the way that that happens is diversity. So I'm taking in as much diversity as, as I can and I'm also watching the way that my body responds. So for instance, I absolutely love Japanese sweet potato. Like that's, that's some french fries, motherfuckers. Those things taste so good, but they inflame me and they give me slight digestive problems uh, if I eat too many for sure. But even if I'm only eating a little bit, I find that I can still feel the difference in inflammation. So not saying that's how it will work for you. Maybe Japanese sweet potatoes are your jam and you feel better on Japanese sweet potatoes. Eat them all day long. Just unfortunately for me, such is not the case, even though I find them delicious. Uh, so yeah, that's the answer. All right, Tian Nguyen. I think I got pretty close on that. Hi, Tom. I'm a longtime fan of impact theory. Thank you very much. I was wondering if I could get your advice on throwing a philanthropy, philanthropy, wow, philanthropy event for charity. I want to use what I know about business to do good in this world. That's amazing. You're going to love that and nothing uh, will be bad in that. Might I suggest the book Thirst by um, Scott Harrison, the guy that founded Charity Water. Just had him on the show, it hasn't launched yet. And I should say for the people that are all amped now about Goggins, the episode doesn't launch till December, so kick back, relax. It's gonna be a while. Um, but Scott Harrison was also just on the show and his book is amazing. The way that he's doing philanthropy is astonishing. And I think that you're going to learn an insane amount. Read that book and then watch some of the YouTube videos on him. I think after doing that, you're gonna have a pretty clear idea on what it would take to do a charity. And he will be far better equipped to explain that than I am. Um, now, the one thing I will say is I don't think that uh, to do good in the world that you have to do a charity. And in fact, I'll say, I actually think charities are a weaker model for helping the world than um, pure, what we'll call, uh, there's a name for it, oh, philanthropic capitalism or something like that. Anyway, it's where you have a business model, the business model is self-sustaining, but everything you do is humanity plus. So it's making the world a better place. I like to think that that is us, that we are at all times 
neutral to positive. So um, that's just a, a core principle of this company. We would never dip below neutral. There are times where you're going to have to be neutral just to keep the lights on, um, but we'll never dip below neutral. And our goal is to create something that is wildly transformative of culture and empowering and impactful and all of that. Uh, but we're doing it in a for-profit vehicle. So there you have it. Conscious capitalism. Conscious capitalism. My man, Chase in the house. Natalia, how do you retain information from the books you read and try out the ideas in your life? I love reading nonfiction books. I get inspired, but after some time, I just forget and continue living as I was. Do you write down the quotes or do you read the same book a few times, etc.? All of the above. So first of all, I forget a lot of what I read. So if you think that I have like this wealth of information in my head, it is only because I read that much. And it is quite frankly, the things that I respond to emotionally that become sticky. So when something really hits me and I'm like, well, I'm gonna remember that that's probably less than 10%. I wish it weren't so, but that is just the reality of things. Also, getting the gist of things is usually more important than the like hardcore details. I do write things down relatively obsessively, but ironically, I rarely go back and read them. Um, but the act of writing them down can help make them stick. But my real secret weapon is I use things that really hit me immediately. So when I read Principles, thanks to this man here, when I re- read principles, we immediately began implementing it in the company because I knew this is transformative. This is so important. I absolutely cannot forget even a drip of this. Um, and then that's a book that I've read twice. So um, all of the above is the answer, but use things immediately whenever possible. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining me. I do so thoroughly enjoy these. And by the way, I just met two guys last night. I was out at a movie premiere, which that was fun, but we were to be up past my bedtime. Uh, and they seemed a little shy to be saying hello. I absolutely love it when people come up and say hi. So if you see me out and about and you want to come say what's up, you want to get a photo, anything, man, I love that. I live for the connection with this community. You guys are so rad. And the way that you help each other remains my most favorite thing in the world. But I'm always down for you guys to come up to say what's up anytime at a restaurant, day or night, doesn't matter, would be rad. Um, So yeah, come on up, say hello, it'd be amazing. And then for anybody that's gonna be in NYC for NYCC, that is coming this October four, five, six, and seven. I will be there all four days. I'm desperate for anybody who's interested in that side of what we're doing to come by, to say what's up, to support, to buy the book, to get the free copy, to all of it. Just come by, say what's up. If you wanna support, I get people reaching out all the time asking how they support. This is one way. Let's shut this fucking place down. That would be so incredible. So we're booth 236 at New York Comic Con. Come by, Neon Future, say what is up. A massive amount of the team is gonna be there. So come by. We would love, love, love to see you. And if you wanna help support You can go right now to comics.impacttheory.com and pre-order a physical copy of the book. That would be amazing. Buy one for yourself, your family, your friends. That would be awesome. All right, guys, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now, building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys, thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.